0: All right, well, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and if you're you're brand new, a special welcome to you. Inside your program is a message note sheet that we use every week. You'll notice there's not a lot of notes inside today. Uh, The reason is that we're going to be doing baptisms today, so uh, we're excited about that. Yeah, it's always an exciting weekend, and uh, so we're going to be doing a little shorter teaching. It's about the only thing that can cause me to go short is baptisms. Uh, and so there's not a lot of uh, fill-in-the-blanks for that kind of thing, but there are some things you'll need in there. There'll definitely be some space for you to jot down notes as we, we go along. And so if you guys are ready to go, uh, I'm ready to, go, ready to jump in. You guys all set? Yeah. All right, let's pray. And God, we're just excited to be here. We're excited for what you're doing in our lives. Most of all, we're excited for Jesus and who he is and, and the change that he's made and has made, is making in our lives and uh, his plan for for the world today. And so We pray that as we come as your church gathered uh, under your name, uh, in the presence of your word, we ask you to come and be our teacher and lead us and guide us and speak today, give great clarity what it looks like to follow you, and we ask you that uh, our lives will be changed because we're here. And we pray this in your name, amen. Well, our story starts today. It's a a dusty road. It's uh, a few miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, yesterday, they watched as he healed the eyes of a blind man. It was an amazing miracle. It actually took two shots. First time, they, he prayed for him. He said he could see men, but they were like trees walking. And then after he had prayed for him a second time, he saw clearly. It was unbelievable. Now it's the next day. It's early morning, and he's told them they're traveling north. And it doesn't make a lot of sense because they're as north as you go in Israel, and still being Israel, and and so, they're heading on the road in the far distance. They see miles and miles away, Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet tall, snow-capped mountain, year out. As the day goes on, the temperature's rising, they're sweating, and they're all wondering, why are we leaving our homeland? Why are we heading north? This is unusual, but no one wants to ask. As they get closer and closer, it becomes clear. They're heading towards an ancient city called Caesarea Philippi. It was an ancient Greek city that had been there for hundreds of years before they were walking the road that day. It was a very famous city. The rabbis said that a God-fearing Jew should never go there. It's kind of like Las Vegas. (laughs) And yet here they were, headed towards kind of Sin City. Uh, the reason the rabbi said not to go there was a center of pagan worship. Before they were born, Herod the Great had built a huge temple there, a white marble temple, to, uh, to honor Caesar Augustus, who had been proclaimed by the Roman Senate to be a god. And now people went there every day to worship Caesar as god, to burn incense in his name. It was a place where Jews would not go. On top of that, it was a ancient site of pagan worship of the god Pan, the god that's half goat, half man, the god of nature, the god of water, the god of the fields, the god of the shepherds, the god of battle. When he would cry, it would create panic in the the opposing armies. He was an erotic god. He was famous for his escapades with nymphs, and women, and even goats. Statues were being made of him having sex with goats. And so that's the sort of place where Jews would go. It's, so there on the side of the mountain was this huge cavern, this huge cave. It was 65 feet wide, 50 feet tall. And out of it came, from the bowels of the earth, came a rushing river straight out of ground. And the ancient sod is a sacred site where sacrifices would be offered to Pan, niches carved in the walls, temples built there. And so it's through this pagan city, far from home, that they're being led this day. And later in this day, they're going to be asked a question. It's a a question that's going to change the direction of, of their lives forever. It's going to be a turning point. After today, their lives will never be the same again. Today, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. And for those of you who are brand new, again, special welcome. We're so glad you're here. But this series, we're calling the first section of this series uh, Jesus the King. Uh, It's a story of the life and teaching of Jesus, as seen through the eyes of one of the the leaders, the early movement of Jesus. His name was Mark. He was a close personal friend of the apostle Peter. And so at the end of Peter's life, he wrote down Peter's memoirs, what he had personally experienced, firsthand experience of the life and teaching of Jesus. And so far in this series, we've seen how Jesus launches his ministry in the northern part of Israel in an area called the Galilee. He bursts on this scene with this amazing message that the kingdom of God that had long been prophesied by Israel's prophets for a thousand years that the kingdom of God this time when the God of Israel Yahweh would break into time and space and bring his kingdom to earth a kingdom of unparalleled righteousness joy peace prosperity blessing that the message was that kingdom was very near and on top of that, Jesus not only made this audacious claim, but he backed it up because wherever he went, he brought the signs of the kingdom. Wherever he went, it was like he was reaching into the future and pulling the power of the future into the present. Wherever he went, the eyes of the blind were open. Wherever he went, the ears of the deaf were being opened. Wherever he went, the dead were being raised. Multitudes were being fed. Nature was being commanded. It was a preview of coming attractions, what life will be like when God reigns on planet earth. And so today we come to the last, uh, the last message, the last event in section one of this series. The series actually got three parts. We come today to what's the turning point of the whole gospel of Mark. Everything that has gone before has been leading up to this day. Everything that happens after this event is going to flow out of this event. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 8. If you've got your apps or whatever on your phones or tablets, let's go to Mark chapter 8. There in your note sheet, there's a section called the turning point because this all happens, this event happens at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi, of course, is the place we started the story with. This is where they journeyed that day. For you and I, uh, you know, we read the Bible sometimes without context, without being there. We, we, we miss the obvious. Like for us, we say, we're going to see here, if you look at verse 27, it says, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they went on from the villages of Caesarea Philippi. So they're going from Bethsaida, where he would healed the man the day before, the blind man, uh, they're going about 16 miles north to the area of Caesarea Philippi. To us, it's like saying, yeah, I went from Chatsworth to Tarzana. I went from, uh, I went from Northridge to Santa Clarita. I went, from, uh, I, I went from West Hills to Simi Valley, right? So we just read it like no big deal, but we miss the obvious that, that this is a major trip. Th- this, is, uh, this is leaving Israel. This is going into pagan area. Uh, like I said, Caesarea Philippi was a, famin, famous pagan site where this temple to Augustus had been Caesar Augustus had been built, where it was a center of uh, emperor wor- worship in the area it 's a place where the god Pan was was worshipped, where temple was, where these erotic uh, activities would happen, and they 'd kill goats and throw them down into the cavern I mean, this was a famous place as a center for pagan worship, right? And so it's so odd that Jesus will be taking his men out of Israel uh, into this center for pagan uh, worship. It's kind of the last place you'd expect, and yet there's where they're going. And, and I want to give you a feel for that. I've been to Israel a couple times. It's one of my favorite places to go, this area of Caesarea Philippi, not only for what happens, as we'll see today, but just because of the beauty and the mystery of this place. And so I've got some slides on the screen, so we're going we're to look there real quick. This is, this is Caesarea Philippi. This, this is where Pan was worshipped, okay? And so you can see they've got the water in the foreground. Now, at the time of Jesus, uh, there was a huge uh, spring coming up out of, this, out of the, the face of this cave. The Roman historian, Jewish Roman historian, Augustus, tells us that at one point they took kind a, of a, a sounding line, like you take out in the ocean, and they dropped it down to see how deep this water went, how deep the cave went, and they never could reach bottom. And so out of the the bowels of the earth, in fact, the ancients called this the gates of hell. They call this location the gates of hell because they they believe that this, the gods came out of this, the underworld to play uh, at this place. And so it's a very mysterious place, you can see that the the, uh, cave in the distance, it's it's like I said, 65 feet wide, it's about 50 feet high, and at the time of, of Jesus, this was just the water was rushing out, it was just filling this up and rushing out, in the 1800s, there was a major earthquake in this area that rerouted the water, so it now comes from down below, as you can see it here, but at the time, it was coming out of the cave, so if we go to the next slide, you can actually see a close-up of the cave, isn't that cool? Like, I don't know if you can see it, I'm much closer, but it's uh. But someday we'll have good screens and you'll be able to see it. But anyway, uh, it's very, yeah, it's very, it's just a very, um, it almost looks like a face when you're there. It's just kind of. It's, it's very mysterious, and so uh, carved in the, into the rocks and the niches uh, around it, there are these niches where they place idols of Pan, uh, idols of the nymphs that he would chase, idols of the, the, uh, the goddess uh, Echo, there's stories about her, and so let's go to the next slide. You can actually see these niches carved there, and in, in some of the niches, it's, it's carved in Greek. You can still read it to this day to the god Pan or whatever, and so, so it didn't look like this. I mean, the the, 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 the uh, opening to the cave was probably covered over with a temple. You'd go through the temple into that opening and make your sacrifice. But you get the feel. And you go to the next slide. Here's a, 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 an up front, because a little closer look at one of those niches carved in the side. There's all over this, all over the face of this thing. There's all these niches. And then if you go to the next slide you'll see that this is what kind of what looks like looking away from the cave as you see this water flowing down. And this this actually becomes one of the three headwaters of the Jordan River. So there's kind of three major sources of the Jordan River. This is the one uh, that's flowing up there from Mount Hermon. It's right by Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet tall. Elevation here is about 1,000 uh, above sea level. So Mount Hermon's 9,000. It's a huge mountainous thing there, uh, snow-capped year-round, and it's right on the edge of the Golan Heights. Uh, and so if you ever hear about Israel, Today, here the Golan Heights, it's where it is. There's a pass there between Mount Hermon and the Golan Heights, and so Caesarea Philippi was a major uh, thoroughfare where r- uh, roads would come from the north, south, east, west, and pass through. So it was a lot of activity. And so it's to this place, this pagan place, that Jesus takes his men, right? And the question is, why? Why did he bring them here? And the answer is he wants to ask them a question. And the question. He's going to change your life. And so let's see, let's see what happens. So, 828 or 827, Jesus and his disciples, they went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, uh, Who do people say that I am? That's a powerful question. In many ways, this is the question of the first half of the Gospel of Mark. This has been the question that's in the background with every chapter we've gone through. Who is this man? Uh, I don't know if you remember this. Remember back in chapter 4, Jesus has been teaching and healing all day. It gets to the end of the day, and he is exhausted. Remember, so he says to his men, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the far side of the sea. Remember that. They get in the boat. He immediately conks out, goes in the back of the boat, finds a pillow, goes to sleep. And remember, this huge storm comes up, and so they're they're exper- they're experienced fishermen. They're used to being out at sea at night. So this should be no big deal. But this storm is an unusual storm. It is just, it's just crazy. Water's coming over the edge. They're bailing. They're doing all they can to keep it afloat. And, and they're, they're afraid. They're going to go down. They're getting scared to death. And so they decide to wake up Jesus. Frankly, they're irritated with him. How could you sleep at a time like this? At least grab a pail. You know, so they're, they're kind of waking up Jesus. And you remember he gets up and he blows them away because he does something they never saw coming. Remember, he commands the nature Remember that? He commands nature, and he says, be still, knock it off. And in a moment, uh, wind stops, wave stops, it is silent. Remember, they're there in the dark now. They're sweaty because they've been fighting this waves. They're soaked with water that's been coming over the, the ship. And in the darkness, they're more scared of Jesus now than they were scared of the storm. Like, and, and remember, they're, they're turning to one they're, they're afraid to talk to him, but you remember what they said to one another. I don't know if you remember this, but what they said is they looked at one another and they said, Who is this guy? Right? Kind of a Clark Kent moment. Who is this guy? So so this has been the question of the Gospel of Mark. Like, who is this guy? And when you get to chapter 6, I don't know if you remember this. We got to chapter 6, remember, Herod, King Herod had arrested John the Baptist and executed him. And, And Mark says, during that time, people were trying to figure out who Jesus was. And everyone had their theory. And so he said some people thought that Jesus was uh, a prophet. Israel hadn't had a prophet in 400 years. They thought he was a prophet. Uh, some people thought that Jesus was one of the great prophets of the past come back to life. Like, like Elijah, the great prophet, who in the Old Testament had never really died. He had gone to heaven, remember, on a, on a fiery chariot. And so it was prophesied by the prophet Malachi that before the end of time, he would come back. And so some thought, this, he's Elijah. Others thought, no, I think he's Jeremiah. Uh, remember, Herod thought he was John the Baptist who was executed. I think he's come back. Right? So, so everyone's got this different th- The question, who is this guy? See, this has been the question all through the first half of the Gospel of Mark, is who is this man? And it's been all leading up to this event at Caesarea Philippi. And so, so here in verse 27... Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Like, what's the word on the street? What are the theories? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then here comes the question. Here's a question that's going to change your lives. And the question is, yeah, but who? what about you? Who do you say that I am? And at this moment, or perhaps before, we're not sure, but, but Peter has a flash of insight, right? We're told clearly later that this flash of insight did not come from himself. That, that God was opening his eyes to the truth. you remember last week? We studied this miracle. Jesus heals the blind man, touches him the first time. What do you see? I see men, but they're like trees walking. Kind of like the ints, you know, Lord of the Rings. They're like men, like trees walking. It's like I, I've, I can see, but I've got 22,000 vision. So Jesus touched him a second time and healed him. And, and like Dave shared last week, that, that most scholars believe that the reason Mark is including this particular event is not just because it was an amazing miracle, because it was a parable, a, a picture of the life of the disciples. They've been with Jesus for a couple years now. They're seeing all the miracles, but they're still blind. They need a touch. And that first touch, not the whole touch, but the first touch is going to come today. In fact, when when Jesus asks this question, let, let's look and see what, what Peter says. Peter says he answers. He says, well, "Jesus, says, what about you? What do you say?" And Peter answers. His flash of insight he says, "You are the what? Christ. You're the Christ." There, in your note sheet, is Matthew's account of this event. And Matthew gives us a little further insight into what was actually said there. Mark gives us the abridged version. Matthew 16, you see in your note sheet, it says, Simon Peter answers, so, so Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And here's the answer. Simon Peter answers and said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Amen. And then notice what Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. In other words, you didn't figure this out on your own. And he goes, by my by my Father in heaven. So what's happened in this moment for Peter and the rest of the disciples, God's opening their eyes that have been blind. And for the first time, they're beginning to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Now, they're not there yet. They're gonna need many other second touches later on. But, but they're beginning to see the truth about who Jesus is. You are the Christ. Now, let me say this. This is one of those times where we have to step back because we're 21st century people. And for us, the name Christ is no big deal, right? Like we think of it, at like least his last name, Jesus Christ, you know? DMV, first name, Jesus. Second name, Christ. Take a picture. Good, it's bad. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, So for us, we think of Jesus Christ, like we hear that all the time, right? We either say it every day or we hear people swearing about it every day, like Jesus Christ, no big deal. But remember that when when Peter said this, Christ was not a name, it was a title. It was the Greek title, in Greek the word is Christos, and Christos is the Hebrew equivalent of Mashiach. Or Messiah. That, that Christ is not a name, it's a title. It's referring to the great king that was prophesied that would one day come from the line of David who would usher in the kingdom of God that we talked about earlier, turn all rungs to right. And so this is an amazing statement that Peter is making. It's the first time anyone in the Gospel of Mark is going to use this title. He's going to say, You are the Christ. Like, I know it doesn't look like it. I know you look like a carpenter from Nazareth. I I know what people say. I know that they think you're a prophet. They think you are maybe Jeremiah. You're you're, you're, uh, uh, Elijah. You're, uh, You're John the Baptist. I know what people are saying, but that's not right. You are the Christ. You're the king. Like, it was a flash of insight, man. Peter was speaking way above his pay grade. Like, he doesn't even have a clue what he's saying. Like, he's right, but he's so wrong. right? And In the coming chapters, we're going to learn how wrong he was and how Jesus is going to have to redefine that for him, what it means he's the Christ. But in that moment, he saw the truth that you are the Christ. Here's what I want you to catch. For us as 21st century people, Christ is normal. Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to catch if we step back in time. Here's what I want you to catch. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that anyone has called Jesus the Christ. Prophet, yes. Holy man, yes. Miracle worker, yes. Rabbi, yes. Elijah, yes. Jeremiah, no one has dared to think of him as the great king, the son of David. And and I I want you to go with me back to where we started this series. Very first week. Today's the last week of this first series. Let's go back to the first week. Now, very first week, I want to remind you how Mark started the story. If you look on your note sheet there, right above the verse we just looked at, there, this is how Mark started the story. He says, The beginning, he says, I want to tell you the beginning of the gospel. And gospel means what? Good news. Remember, it was an imperial and there was something big happened in the empire. A Evangelion, a gospel would go out from the Caesar. Uh, something big's happening. So he says, This is the good news, the message of the new king. That the Evangelion, the gospel about Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus, Yahweh is salvation. Christ the King. He says, This is the message about Yahweh of salvation, who's Christ the King. And and then he's the son of God. He's not just a man. He's more than a man. He's the God-man. He's come to rescue us. This is how Mark introduces the story. But Mark's writing 35 years after the events he's describing. You see, we're like in a huge play where the narrator is letting us in at the start of the play what's going on. We're the audience looking in, reading the story from the outside in. And what Mark is doing as an audience, he's letting us into this story as he builds chapter after chapter of evidence of who Jesus is. He says, let let me as the narrator start this story. This story is about this man named Jesus Christ, the King. He's the Son of God. He says, let me take you on a journey how I've come to that conclusion. Let me, take you on the, let me take you with those first disciples. They met him by the Sea of Galilee, right? And he said, follow me. Let me, let me walk with him. Let me show you how they didn't understand for so many years who he was. And, and, and so we've gone through chapter one. We've seen the compassion of him as he touches out and, and, and reaches the leper and heals that leper. We've seen him in chapter two as he forgives the, the sins of this man being let down through through the, uh, through the roof. Right, we watched him confront the religious leaders with great courage and boldness of his day and tell them they're all wrong. We we've watched as he's taught the crowds, this amazing teacher, like no one's ever spoke like this man. We watched him command the seas and raise the dead and open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf and raise the lame and feed the multitudes. And we watch them, and Mark is building his case. He's building his case. That this man, he is the Christ and he's leading us up. Everything in this, in this gospel has been leading us to this place where we stand with the disciples at Caesarea Philippi and our eyes are open and we realize who Jesus is. That he is more than a great prophet. That he is more than a great man. That he's more than Elijah. He's more than a Jeremiah. He's more than a John the Baptist, that this is the creator of the universe. This is the great king. Amen? Amen. And so so stop and and think with me. So so think with me about these two questions then, these two questions, right? The first question Jesus asks is, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? And and so the answers that are given are much like the answers that would be given in our day today, right? Like if you were to ask, take, you know, kind of go out and do a random interview in the crowd, and you say, what do you think about Jesus? Like the answers today would be very similar to the answers to then. That uh, there would be some people today, like the religious leaders then, that say Jesus is the bane of the universe. So he's just He's just kind of this fake uh, prophet, evil man, uh, created this uh, religion that's been the bane of the universe. There's, there's some in our culture who would say that today, I get that, but, but I think most people, if you ask them, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, who is Jesus, I think that for the most part, they would have a positive attitude towards Jesus. Uh, they may not like Christians, which I understand, because a lot of Christians I don't like, but um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, you know, because they're, they're not like Jesus, you know, not really growing, whatever, but... Uh, that there's, they would not like Christians, but most people, even non-believers, would like Jesus, right? Here's what I want you to catch. In his day, the word on the street was Jesus was very popular. Not, not the religious leaders, but the crowds in general. Like when you say someone's a prophet, that's high praise when, you, when you're in Israel. When you say, I think he's Elijah, it doesn't get much better than that, right? So there was a positive view on the street about Jesus, And if you were to go out in our culture today and you say, what about Jesus? I think here are some of the answers. Some would say, well, well, he's a great moral teacher. He was a man that was ahead of his time. Uh, He he was a prophet. Uh, He he was, uh, in some circles, a created being, the first created being or something. Uh, A lot of people today would say, I think he's an enlightened spiritual man, that the force was with him, you know. That, uh, that he was kind of enlightened, he probably had a crystal in his car, you know, it's just like, he, he, was, he was enlightened, he was in touch with the universe and the oneness of the universe, and, but there, what I'm catching is that, that by and large, most people would have something good to say about Jesus, right? Just like back then, they had a lot of good to say about Jesus, but here's what I want you to catch. All their answers, whether then or now, are dreadfully inadequate. Because Jesus is more than a good man. He's more than a religious leader. He's more than a moral revolutionary. He's more than an enlightened soul. As Peter saw that day, he's the Christ. He's the creator. he's the Son. And here's what I want you to catch. It takes an act of God to get us from question one to question two. That, that no person comes into the kingdom because they're just smart enough and figured it out. Remember what Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. That, that, that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, it's because the Father has opened their eyes to see who Jesus is. And, and when that happens, it's the turning point in their life. It is their Caesarea Philippi. right? It, it's that moment where that, that aha happens where all of a sudden you, you go on your knees before this man that you thought was a good man, you thought he was a religious leader, you thought he was a, a, a social revolution, whatever you thought he was, but you go on your knees before him and you acknowledge you are more than that, you are the king of creation. And I go on my knees before you, I bow before you, and I, and I ask you to forgive me for my rebellion, living my whole life as if you haven't existed. And I ask you to forgive me and to empower me and to give me your Holy Spirit to to change me. And so we come under the leadership of King Jesus. And so everything in the Gospel of Mark has been leading us to this moment. It's the most important question in all of our lives. It's who do you think I am? And sooner or later, we have to stop answering, well, let me tell you what so-and-so thinks. Let me tell you what so-and-so thinks. Because sooner or later, Jesus is going to look us in the eye and say, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And that is a destiny-defining moment when that happens. And this weekend, we have the privilege of baptizing Twenty-five people here at Rocky Peak who who have had their eyes opened to who Jesus is. Twenty-five people that when you say, who do you say I am, they are answering back, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I'm coming under your leadership And I ask you to forgive me for all crimes against the kingdom. I ask you to give me the gift of your Holy Spirit. I want to die with you in baptism, being buried to my old life. Rise with you to a new life. I want to be washed in a spiritual bath of all my sins. I want to be made new. And I want to rule with you in this life and the next. I want a part of that future. And so Jesus, when he left, he gave us an assignment as his church. And he said, I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to share this message of Caesarea Philippi. Share the message of who I am and why I've come. And he said, when people, when their eyes are open and and they, they want to follow me, so the first step is to baptize them. See, baptism is our Caesarea Philippi. It's that moment where we turn from the other gods that we have served. Whether the gods of other religion, like Pan, or whether the traditional gods of the human race, that thing that we worship as our ultimate value in our life, whether it's our, our money, whether it's sex, whether it's pleasure, whether it's possessions, whether it's a person, whether it's prestige, whether it's power, the gods of the human race, we, we say, I forsake all other gods, and Jesus, you alone are my God, and you're my king, and I come under your leadership. And so this weekend, we have that privilege of witnessing accessory of Philippi turning point event in the life of these people. We had uh, uh, seven last night. We had eight last service. We have nine this service, maybe ten. Um, and so uh, we're going to be going into a time of, uh, of worship and baptism now. So the band's going to be coming out, and they're going to be leading us. uh, Actually, they're just going to be singing over us a a song right now about Jesus. And I just want you just to to use this time to prepare your own heart for baptism. It's a time of great celebration for us as a church. And so uh, if you're here to be baptized today, you can make your way down to the front at this time as we go into this time of reflection. Let's pray together. And Jesus, we, uh, we never get tired of that name, Yahweh is salvation, uh, because it's that name that has rescued us. And Lord, we think of your word that says that there is no other name given among the human race by, by which we must be saved, but by that name. And we think of what your word says, that, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that name. And so, Lord, we're just thankful that we're on the vanguard of that movement. We're thankful for your mercy and grace that nothing special about us, but just because of your love, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, that we've seen that you are the Christ and it's changed our lives. And Lord, we want to be those people who are pursuing you, loving you, growing to be like you, making a difference in this world, uh, loving others, helping others to come and to experience you. And so Lord, we pray for that as a church, that we would be a place where your name is honored above all names. And we pray that we would truly live out that life, that you are the king, that it's not something we just sing about, something we say, but our lives reflect it, that we're living under your leadership. Forgive us for the times when we fail. We pray you'd strengthen us so that we could follow more closely. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I want to tell you what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Um, First of all, today we, we came to the, the end of this first section of Mark, first half of the gospel, called Jesus the King, right? So we're going to take a little bit of a break, uh, but in a few weeks we're going to come back um, and we're going to be talking about the next, uh, there's kind of a three-part series in Mark. This is the second part is called Jesus, the Call to Follow. So as we saw today, uh, Peter rightly figures out who Jesus is, you're the Christ, but he has very wrong ideas about what that means. And so in the coming chapters, Jesus is going to explain what it means that He is the Christ, why He's come, and what it means to follow. And so we're calling that next series in Jesus, The Call to Follow. So, but in the meantime, we're taking a break. Think of it like halftime in a football game. We're going to take a break from Mark. In the next three weeks, we're going to be doing just a short series called The Call to Community. And inside your program, you have these invite cards. If you have a friend you want to invite or someone that you've been thinking of coming, it's a great opportunity to invite someone. So when Jesus came... Uh, and Peter said, you are the Christ in Matthew's gospel, and we'll look at this next week, that, that Jesus went on to say, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, remember what they called the, Philippi? the gates of Philippi? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and so uh, the, the point is that when Jesus came, he came not just to save individuals, he came to launch a whole new community. In fact, the word church, is kind of a bad translation, we'll talk about this next week, but in in the the early church, the the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means a gathering. It's it's a gathering, it's an assembly. And so the church is not a building, it's it's a gathering of followers who have come to know Christ that are living out a new life together in community. So we're going to spend three weeks talking about this call to community, what it looks like to be the community of Jesus. And it's going to prepare us as we go into the fall uh, with a new emphasis on kind of loving one another. What does it look like to, to create this community of love? We saw it in the life group thing today. We saw, we've talked about a lot, but What does it look like to create that community? And so we're going to spend three weeks uh, on that. And so I uh, hope you can join us next week as we kick that off. If you have to be gone, like it's Labor Day uh, and you're, you're on vacation or something, uh, be sure to podcast it, video podcast, audio podcast, to so stay up with us because it's a short series. Next week, laying the foundation. So you'll definitely want to stay up with that. Until then... Uh, may, may the Christ of Caesarea Philippi be with you. Uh, may, may the king of creation uh, be with you. Uh, may you this week come under his leadership in a new and powerful way. May you be open to the leading of his spirit in your life, that he might use you to be part of his advance guard to change this world. Amen? And so and to, the, to the king, to Jesus the king, we give our lives, we give this week, And I'll see you back next week as we continue on with this call to community. God bless.